This evening's reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27, which can be found on page 1053 in the Church Bibles. It's Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Thank you, Jacob. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, I, I wonder if you uh, ever watch any of the programmes like Dragon's Den or, or The Apprentice or something. I, I quite like them. Um, I especially like them when you get those car crash moments. You know, the person rocks up on Dragon's Den and they get asked a question and they just crumble. Like all their figures are just all over the place. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit of car crash telly, really. It makes good TV, but a very bad investment. You know, because the best ones are the ones that have all their facts and figures sort of in line, don't they? They know exactly what, what to do. They know exactly all of their, their forecasts and their deficits and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the ones where the, the, the dragons, in this case, can see straight away that it's a, it's a business that's worth investing in. It's a business that's going to uh, make some money. The ones that see the worth. Well, in our parable this evening, we're going to be asking that, is it worth its question? But it, it's not as if that tonight I'm going to pitch you an idea from Jesus uh, to see if you want to kind of, you know, you're in or not. Or you're going to say, I'm out. 
It's not as if I'm going to say, look, this is what Jesus is about. What do you think? No, actually, it's far more that, that Jesus already said to you, you are worth it. I have given my life for you. I, I've given you all sorts of resources. You are worth it. And the question tonight is, so what have you done with it? I have invested in you. And what have you done? And if there's one thing that we're going to see, hopefully tonight, it's simply this, that no investment or sacrifice in Jesus will ever lead to disappointment. No investment or sacrifice in or for Jesus will ever lead to disappointment. So with that in mind, let's pray uh, together. Father, we thank you for your words. And we thank you for all of the good things that you give us. And we pray tonight that as we mull over that question in our heads, we pray, Father, we'd both be encouraged to see more of your generosity, but also perhaps challenged as to what that question might mean for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a look down at at verse 11. Uh, While they were listening to this, uh, he, that's Jesus, uh, went on to tell them the parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear uh, at once. Uh, People were expecting that that Jesus was going to be marching down to Jerusalem and and come in as king. Uh, but we know, don't we, that ever since uh, Luke 9.51, no, he set his face to Jerusalem uh, because that is the place uh, where he's going to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, that is the place where he's come to, to seek and save the lost. Uh, we know that. Uh, but the people think he's marching in as a, as a military king who, who's going to uh, get rid of the Romans, uh, replace those hypocritical Jewish leaders and establish his earthly rule forever. But Jesus, knowing their thinking that, tells them this parable. And he says, that's not going to happen. In fact, as he said many times before, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And to help them understand this, he tells them this parable about a man born of noble birth. And the first thing he he wants them to understand in this parable is, verse 12, that the king must go away. So they were expecting Jesus to to march in Jerusalem to begin his rule now. Uh, And the first thing Jesus says, no, that the king's going away. And when we read that, uh, verse 12, a man of no birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king. That sounds a bit odd to us. I mean, um, as and when Prince Charles will become king. We don't imagine him saying, I'm just going to France to become king and I'll come back a bit later. That's just a bit odd, just not, not what's in our sort of royal monarchy thinking. But, but it wouldn't have sounded odd to those listening. Uh, because here the, the, the kings would have had to have gone to Rome. They would have needed the permission of the emperor uh, to be king uh, in place. It, it was a familiar idea to them. And Jesus wants to equip his listeners to expect, no, there's going to be a delay. There's going to be a delay. I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, and to resurrect, and 
ascend and return. But there's going to be a waiting period. So how then can we trust him? How, how can we know? Because we, we can't see Jesus. So how do we know we're in that waiting period? Well, remember, Jesus is writing this before he goes to Jerusalem. And he said time and time again, I'm going to Jerusalem where I'm going to suffer and die and be killed. And that's what happened. And he said, in fact, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, be killed, and to resurrect again after three days. And that's what happened. I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, to be resurrected, and then to ascend. And that's what happened. And so when he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer, to die, to be resurrected, to ascend it, and then return. Well, it's going to follow the same pattern. It's going to happen. But in the meantime, then, what, what are we to do? If there's this delay, this gap, what are we to do? Well, it's to be faithful. That's verses 13 and 14. Uh, see, part of the reason Jesus tells this parable is that he knows that life's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to follow him as king because we, we can't see him. It's going to be hard because he knows that uh, the people listening to this are going to be living in a world where people don't want Jesus as their king. In fact, verse 14, in the parable, Jesus says, but his subjects, this is the, the man of noble birth, his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man as our king. Now, it's probably that Jesus is drawing on an incident that happened about 30 years before where somebody did go to Rome and people did send a delegation and said, we don't want that guy. Uh, and the emperor listened. But not in our story. Verse 15, he was made king. But the point Jesus is making is there are plenty of people who don't want him as king. Now, of course, we know that the Jewish leaders, we know what they're going to do and what's going to happen next. But this category of people who don't want Jesus as king doesn't simply include the, the bad people that killed Jesus. It's anybody. Anybody who doesn't want to bow the knee, bow their heart and life to Jesus. It's, it means living life in hope today. Living in a world that doesn't want to know Jesus, doesn't want to bow the knee to him. Jesus knows it's going to be tough. In that delayed period, he knows it's going to be hard. And he wants to help. But he also wants us to know that there's work to do. And this is the point of the story when we get to him uh, giving out these minas to his servants. Uh, and he gives out, a mina is about um, three months wages. So if you were given ten minas, that, that's about a year and a half. You know, five, you know, 15 months. So it's quite a, a decent deposit. It's a decent amount of sort of, uh, of money. And he commands his servants to, to carry out his work, to, to put his agenda in place while he's gone. But if Jesus is this man of noble birth, what, what is Jesus' agenda? Well, as with all things, it's 
helped by where Luke has put this story. Because, of course, last week, if you were here, we heard Stephen uh, preaching us from that story of Zacchaeus and the tax collector, uh, where Jesus goes seeking Zacchaeus. And then we get that verse right at the end. Just glance up. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Verse 11. While they were listening to this, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Uh, Jesus' business, Jesus' agenda is to come to seek and save the lost. That's what his, he's come to do. Uh, that's what he wants his followers to do, is to join with his mission in seeking to save the lost. And Jesus says, look, I, I've given this deposit to you to further my agenda. So what is this deposit? Well, as you can imagine, there are all sorts of different things that people say. Uh, some say, oh, it's the, the gospel deposit we've been given to pass on. Others will say it's, uh, it's the, the, the God's spirit that he's given to, to enable us to do his mission. Others might say it is literally a financial resource. But actually, I don't think we need to narrow it down. I don't think we need to say, oh, this is exactly what it means and nothing else. Uh, no, I think we can say that actually it is any resource that the Lord has given us for his service. So, of course, that, that will mean the gospel. That will mean his spirit. It, it will mean our money. It will mean our houses. It will mean the places where we work. It will mean the families that we live in. It, it may include our personalities and characters. Absolutely anything that the Lord has given us. Uh, and the Lord tasks us saying, look, now go forward and carry out my business of seeking to save the lost. And remember, here's the, the big point. No investment or sacrifice in Jesus will ever lead to disappointment. God has gifted us each and resourced us in many different ways. But his charge is still the same. Use what I have given you to help seek and save the lost. Now, I began to prepare a sermon a while ago because of um, Easter and other things. And uh, I was just trying to call to mind some, some questions that were going to help me to begin just to help me to to diagnose where I'm at with this. And so if you've got the service sheet with you, um, in the middle, um, these are some questions that I came up with basically for myself. But they may be questions that you find helpful uh, as well. So here are my questions. Um, what areas and things do I call mine and are out of bounds for the Lord and others? Oh, what, what does my screen time tell me about my priorities? Do I plan to give financially? And if so, do I notice it? Does it hurt when I give? Does my giving hurt? Does it make an impact upon my life? Am I proactively giving up other things so that I can give to the Lord's work? Now, when was the last time I had people who were not my family in my house? When was the last time I had people who were not Christians uh, round for a meal? What's more important to me? 
my comforts and ease here and now or the eternal comforts of those who are lost? Why do I find it so hard to pray? If I were to write out my week in full, what would someone else say were the most important things to me? And then kind of a catch-all, how might I use all the Lord has given me in his service? Questions which I've been mulling over. And as I've mulled over them, I've found pretty convicting and challenging. They're questions that I need to think of. I'm sure there are other questions as well that I could do of asking myself. But the Lord says, how are you going to use the resources that I've given you? And I know for me, those are many, many resources. What am I going to do? But of course, the parable doesn't end there, does it? And this really is that the bulk of our story, verses 15 to 27, uh, because at this point, this is when the king returns. He returns to bring his verdict. And he returns with, with two judgments, a judgment upon his servants and a, a judgment upon his enemies. And his servants first. Uh, he, he calls the servants back in to, to see him. And at this point, it's a really good thing to remember that just as he called his servants in to see him, uh, one day uh, we will be called in to see Jesus. Uh, we will have a face-to-face with Jesus that will make any meeting with Lord Sugar or the head teacher seem like small fry. Jesus will look us in the eye and ask us how we've used the resources he's given what have you done with what I've given you? What a searching and telling question that will be. When Jesus looks us in the eye and says, what have you done with what I've given you? And the first servant comes and says, sir, your, your mean has earned ten more. Uh, but notice actually in that, he doesn't say, sir, I've earned ten more for you. No, he says, sir, your meaner. It's not about the, the work of the servant. It's, it's the resources that he was given in the first place. He's saying, look, no, your mean has earned this, this growth. I, I've just been faithful with it. I've just, just sort of passed on what I was given. It's not about me. It's always about your work. You're the one who truly comes to seek and save the lost. It's not about me. I, I can't bring people into your kingdom. I'm just being faithful with what you've given me. But it's you're the one who does the work. Because faithfulness is not like football management to results game business. So you, you start losing and you're out. No, faithfulness is simply carrying forward the task that the Lord has given us. And trusting the resources will bring the growth. Because the resources are from the Lord. And he's the one who truly seeks and saves the lost. But did you notice the response from the king is mind-blowing? Oh, he says, verse 17, Well done, my good servant. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Like, what? 
cities. I mean, that, that's just completely out of proportion, isn't it? Uh, I get that, that two and a half months wages is, is a big amount, but this is a city? Uh, I mean, that's just, it's just non-logical, but that's the God that we serve. That he is generous in what he gives, and he's generous in what he gives back. But did you also notice that the reward is not monetary? It's not, oh, well done, you've been faithful with a small amount of money. Let me give you lots more money, a, a thousand. No, his, actually, his reward, the servant's reward, is for further and greater service. Because that's what a good servant wants to do. A good servant doesn't serve because they, they want something out of it. A good servant serves because they want to serve. And that's exactly what, what he's doing. It's ten cities or five cities in the, the case of the second. Uh, but that's to say that this reward, this time, won't be toilsome or troublesome. It'll be a joy because this time the king is there. The service won't be difficult. It'll be a joy because the king is now there. Because no investment or sacrifice in Jesus will ever lead to disappointment. We'll never be wishing, oh, just, was it worth me doing that? Was it worth me giving that up or, or, or offering that? No, no investment or sacrifice in Jesus will ever lead to disappointment. But what about the third servant? And the third servant is a, a warning to us all. It's a warning so that on that day, we don't have to look at Jesus and then just shuffle our feet. And he says, what have you done with what I've given you? And we just have to say, nothing. I've kept it, but I've not done anything with it. Now, we don't know why the servant didn't do anything. It, it sounds like he didn't really know the master. Uh, because he says, look, uh, you're a hard man. I was afraid of you. But, but is it, does that description tally with what we've just seen? Does it tally with a hard man who, who gives minors and then rewards with five, ten? That just doesn't make sense. It's as if this servant doesn't really know the master at all. Now, if we look at the, the equivalent passage in Matthew, it, it talks about how the servant is thrown out of the, of the kingdom. Uh, we, we don't get that here. But the, the point here is not to, uh, to draw kind of uh, tight sort of theological uh, lines to say this is exactly, this is the person who will, will still be in heaven but be completely disappointed. The point is to ask us today and say, just don't be like that person. Don't be on that day when you have to look at Jesus and then say, I've done nothing. Don't be in that situation. Don't ever say to yourself today that an investment or sacrifice will lead to disappointment. And so I'm not going to do it. No, no investment or sacrifice in Jesus will ever lead to disappointment and because the more we get to know this king the more we long to be like him that the one who not for a moment considered whether it was worth coming 
to seek and save the lost. He didn't for a moment consider saying, well, is it worth it? Shall I do it? Shall I not do it? No, he went. He's like, it's, it's so worth going after you and me. And then Jesus said, be like the king. No investment or sacrifice in Jesus' work will ever lead to disappointment. And so I wonder this evening, where is it the Lord is pricking you? As we went through those questions, was there a, a, a point that you just felt the, the, the Lord's hand upon an area of life? Saying, actually, maybe there is something to think about. And if that is you, please don't just say, oh, I'll go away and think about that one. Please do think about it, but, but please do something about it. Do it tonight. Plan, uh, make changes, be thoughtful, act. Because no investment or sacrifice in Jesus will ever lead to disappointment. But also there's one more group that he speaks to. These are speaking to his servants. The king also speaks to his enemies. And that's that very last verse. Verse 27. But those enemies of mine, those who who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. One verse, but a quite sobering verse. Those that oppose the king, the king will oppose. There are consequences for not wanting Jesus as our king, and they are serious. So this evening, both was uh, pleading to, to, to myself, uh, as to all of us, that, that no investment in Jesus will ever lead to disappointment. I also plead for those who might say, actually, I, I don't really want Jesus as king. Saying that is a serious, serious thing to say that has dire dire consequences so please do all that you can to look into jesus Uh, come along on friday to jonathan aitken Uh, come back to church next sunday the sundays after Uh, come join us in the alpha course on the 26th of april it's fine to to look into it and say "Ah, i don't think it's true it's fine but just to say i can't be bothered Jesus says, I'm the true king. I'm going away, but I will come back again. And in the meantime, to my servants, uh, carry out my business. Do all that you can with the resources that you've been given to, to further my agenda of seeking and saving the lost. To my enemies, become my friends before I return. I wonder, when we have that face-to-face with Jesus, and he asks us that question, what will our response be to him? Let's pray. Father, 
We thank you for your uh, extreme generosity to us. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you treat us wholly how we don't deserve. And we thank you, Lord, that, that, that we can be confident that no sacrifice we ever make will ever lead to disappointment because of uh, what lies ahead is so vastly greater and better than anything else. And so we pray this evening that you'd help us that both the, the perspective of the past and the perspective of the future to trust you and to do all that we can to use the resources that we've been given to join with you in your mission to seek and save the lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.